Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Conley here with Megan Gower. The season's officially over. We're into the offseason, and we can all take one big collective breath. There will be no parade in downtown Hartford this season. The Huskies fall to South Carolina in the championship game, a result that, based on the way it all unfolded and based on everything we thought going in, really isn't that surprising. We talked about during the pregame show that, you know, on paper, South Carolina should probably win this game. And what happened? South Carolina won this game. They played really well. They dominated the glass. UConn went through stretches where they couldn't make a shot. They only scored 49 points. South Carolina had over 20 more shots from the free throw line. And UConn continued to deal with injuries and illnesses that plagued them all season. AZ wasn't at a hundred percent. She didn't even participate in shoot around because of a, an illness, a stomach bug. I don't think she was the only one on the team that was afflicted by that. She may have just been the worst at that moment. Obviously Dorka Juhas being out with her fractured wrist. Avina Westbrook rolled her ankle pretty bad at the start of the game. I don't know how much that affected her because she still didn't even play that well. Gino said afterwards that Olivia Nelson Adota had a pretty bad groin injury that she's, I don't know if she injured it first for the first time or re-injured the same groin that forced her to miss games earlier in the season against Stanford. Kind of a fitting way for the season to end is, I don't know if the result actually ends up being all that different. If even AZ's healthy and lives healthy and Avina doesn't, twist her ankle I think it's too much to start playing the game of oh what if Dorka didn't break her wrist but if you at least had a full healthy roster of the players that were available for the game does it go differently I don't know maybe you could probably argue about it I don't think it's worth diving into and trying to debate but I think what it comes down to is the team that deserved to win one the best team in the country won and 11 times before that's been UConn and for the first time that wasn't UConn yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. I mean, South Carolina was the way to wire number one. It makes sense that they come out on top. And UConn, I mean, just more of what they've dealt with all season. So I think more than anything, it's just like credit to this team for even making it that far with everything that they had to go through right up until that championship game. Right. The fact that they got to the championship is pretty incredible. And I don't love the narrative of, oh, this season's a success because they got further than everyone thought they should. No, it's this is still UConn women's basketball. The expectation should still be to win national championships. But aside from the fact that they had never lost in a championship game, I still think it's better to get to the championship and lose than to get bounced in the final four for, it would be, I think, the fifth straight time if you uh, if, with the COVID the year in there. They beat a pretty good Stanford team. They played really well to beat the Stanford team. 
Stanford didn't play well, which I think is both a product of just them having an off night and UConn sending them into an off night. And I know that we already covered Stanford in our last episode, but it was about time that UConn got some luck in the final four. And that feels like every single time they played a final four game since the Stewie years, the other teams brought their a game and played the best game of their season. And UConn hasn't felt like finally UConn caught a break there and they needed to catch another break with South Carolina. And really did South Carolina actually play that great? I mean, they missed a ton of shots and they were just rebounding all of them. UConn played them pretty even for roughly 30 minutes. But when you go behind, what, eight, nothing at the start of the game and then 10, nothing at the start of the second half or whatever those runs were that put you in a big hole. Yeah. Maybe you can climb out of one of them, especially the first half one, they got it pretty close, but you can't do it to yourself twice. And that's exactly what they did. So yeah, they, they didn't deserve to win. Maybe it would have gone differently had they been fully healthy, had they had more time together. I mean, the fact that it was as close as it was for a while is really a credit to, I think the players and the coaching staff, but you can't have the performance that you didn't expect to win a national championship. Yeah, exactly. If they were going to win that game, they kind of need to go out and have a near perfect game to beat South Carolina, especially with all the pieces that were missing or hurt or sick. So, and that's obviously not what happened those two runs at the beginning of the halves were not near perfect basketball and I mean, credit to the team from fighting back because they could have just given up after that first quarter, I think, but they got it close, but ultimately just didn't have enough. And I think a lot of it came down to, I mean, Aliyah Boston just dominating on the glass and then Destiny Henderson had a career night as well. Yeah. Career high in your last game at South Carolina. That's That's pretty impressive. And that's a pretty good story, regardless of what side of the game that you fall on. And I don't think I kind of mentioned it, but the factor that South Carolina's team had played together all season long, they had figured out who they needed to be to win a national championship while UConn was still very much trying to figure it out on the fly. And I don't really think UConn ever played its best game in the NCAA tournament. It just figured out how to win every single round, but at a certain point that's going to run out for you. And it got them past NC state. It got them past Stanford. It didn't get them past South Carolina, but they would have had to beat the three best teams in the country. Having not had that cohesive of a roster, having still had a bunch of injuries, all of that, that it's just looking back. It was such a big ask for them to have tried and pulled it off that yes, they do deserve credit for getting there at the same time. Yes. It is disappointing that you don't come away with the championship and championship should be the expectation, but I don't think the fact that they lost, like I was seeing articles that were like, is UConn's run of dominance over? Well, inherently, yes, because they haven't won a national championship in six years, but I don't think them losing this game changes that at all. I don't think UConn's suddenly going to fall off the map because it lost a national championship game because it won one extra game in the tournament than it did in years past. I thought that was a little weird. I think South Carolina is still going to be the team to beat next year. But I really feel that UConn is going to be, at, as long as they stay healthy, they are going to be so much better next year. They are going to be, I think, 1A, or sorry, 1B to South Carolina's 1A. I don't think South Carolina is going to be the clear-cut number one like they were this year. I think it's going to be UConn, South Carolina, and everybody else because 
with who UConn has coming back, with who UConn's going to be getting healthy, this is a team that's going to be very dangerous on top of any possible portal additions too. Yeah, exactly. I think you said it perfectly. It's going to be 1A and 1B next year, and I don't think we're going to see a wire-to-wire number one, assuming everyone can actually stay healthy because it's obviously that played a huge part in what happened with UConn this season. Um, but those are going to be the two best teams for a while. And I don't – UConn's run of dominance is over and that they're, like, they're not going to win four championships in four years, but that shouldn't be the expectation either. Like, that's just – what Stewie did was just ridiculous and – I think we're seeing a lot more parity and there's going to be less of that, which is good overall. But I think the fact that they still made it to every single final four is still a pretty dominant program. Yeah. And I've never been a huge fan of the, Oh, it's parody that UConn hasn't won. Well, you know, they should have won those two years after Stewie. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a parody. Wasn't the reason they didn't win those. They didn't have a great team. The second time they lost to Notre Dame, Maybe you could argue that's parody because they didn't get the players they wanted or whatever it was, maybe. And then last year, I think they needed to lose that game last year in order to grow as a team. And then this year, you just get killed with the injuries. But I do buy the parody argument in 10 years ago. There's no South Carolina for Leah Boston to go to. So she probably comes to UConn. And if UConn has Aaliyah Boston, they are back-to-back national champions, and they're probably back-to-back undefeated national champions. So that's kind of where I see the parity argument. Not in that everyone else is getting a lot better. It's that someone other than UConn got the best player in the country besides Paige, because I think it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to compare Paige and Aaliyah because they're so drastically different. But Paige wasn't healthy this year and Ali is just such a dominant force in a way that nobody else has that like, I mean, her and Paige together would be truly unstoppable. So that's also kind of the way that I feel like parody is going. Whereas during the Stewie years, they had not that they had Paige and Aaliyah, but they had Stewie and then they had other players that were, pretty much as good as everyone else in the country. Stewie was on her own level. Everyone else on that team was the next tier. We're just never, I don't think we're ever going to see that level of dominance again, because I don't think we're ever going to see someone like Stewie again. Right now she's on track to be the greatest player of all time. And what's the other long championship streak they've had. It was three in a row with Diana Taurasi on the team. She's currently the greatest player of all time. So you're talking about arguably the two greatest players of all time, creating these unbelievable championship streaks. And your one player that has the potential to maybe join them was injured this year. So those I feel like are all more, it's hard to win national championships. And we've seen that. And that's what every other team in the country has been trying to say. And UConn has had such a significant talent advantage on top of being the most well-coached team, that's what's put them over the top. And now I'd argue that probably for the last four years, they haven't been the most talented team in the country, but they've still been up there because of the coaching. So if they can finally get like next year to the point where they have the talent and the coaching, that's, I think when the formula starts to come together. Right. Exactly. And I think, 
they're not going to be the most talented team in the country every year now because you've seen a lot more, like you said, only in Boston, there wasn't a place like South Carolina for her to go a few years ago. Now there's South Carolina, there's, I mean, blanking on other schools, but like there's just a lot more places that are investing in women's basketball and have the resources to attract top talent than there was five years ago, 10 years ago, which is going to shift how recruiting works and how the talent's going to be spread across the country. And UConn's still going to be really good and they're still going to be the best coach team as long as she knows there, but there's, there's going to be other teams that can compete with them in a way that there wasn't when one, you had a player like Stewie, that's the best player of the country or the best player in the world by far. And then all of this other top talent alongside her, you're, you're not going to see that as much either. Right. And the point that you made about other programs are putting money into their women's basketball teams. I think Kiki Rice is a good example of that. UCLA is not a huge factor on the national stage right now, but they got who someone who I believe is the best guard in the country in the class for next season. Yeah, she would look really nice on UConn's roster, especially because I do think they need another guard just for depth purposes. And again, 10 years ago, does she go to a UCLA or, you know, is, is Iowa, I mean, maybe Iowa's its own thing because Caitlin Clark's from there, but is Iowa even a program worth going to for Caitlin Clark if she's looking at it and not that she would end up at UConn, but like those type of players where it seems like there's a lot more stars kind of spread out around the country, even if they don't necessarily have the best teams the more stars that are elsewhere is the less creates fewer super teams like the Yukon teams during the Stewie eras or that O2 team or the 2010, 2009 Yukon teams, all those sorts of things. And, you know, not, I don't mean to take away from Diana Taurasi's last two championships, but I remember Gino saying that the reason those teams were so good was because first Diana Taurasi was amazing, but everyone else on that team did exactly what they needed to. None of them were superstars, but they all played their role perfectly. And I think that's something that's really underrated to have on this, on this level, because everyone in high school is the superstar and it's hard to get players to perform their roles perfectly, but that's what those two teams did. And they figured out how to do that to a T and they won two national championships. So there's different ways to win. I think those are just two of the exceptions in terms of UConn where they just, and I don't want to say it like this because it takes away from what they did, but like almost out talent teams to death where they have so much talent and they play so well with that talent that it's impossible to beat them. Those Oh three and Oh four teams. I feel like, and maybe the 2013 team, the first Stewie team, I feel like those might be the lone exceptions where it wasn't simply UConn was so much better than everyone and played very well. It was just, those teams played better at the right time. So we saw that a bit this year where this UConn team just played right well at the right times, but then you still need the talent element and none of those teams ever ran into a team like South Carolina. I mean, this South Carolina team, I think is going to go down as one of the better champions of the last 25 years. I don't think it's the best. I don't think it would necessarily be top five, but this team's a lot better than, a lot of other teams that have gotten this far. So I don't think it's going to be like, oh my God, how did UConn lose that game? It might end up being, oh, that's the start of like this next battle for sport or supremacy in the sport. Yeah, exactly. So looking ahead, 
the careers of UConn's three seniors, Avina Westbrook, Kristen Williams, and Olivia Nelson Adota, are officially over. They've all declared for the draft, put their names in. They had their bonus COVID seasons. It never really felt like any of them were going to use them. I think it's probably best for them to move on because their draft stock's never going to get higher. Kristen, from pretty much all accounts, is a first-round pick. Liv and Avina, there's much less of a consensus, but the athletic Chantel Jennings put out an interesting t- story where she spoke anonymously with three GMs about a host of prospects and UConn's three players were in there. Kristen Williams seems to be regarded as a very high floor, low ceiling type player where you know exactly what you're get- going to get out of her. Avina Westbrook, as we've said for years, is going to be a really good utility player. That's how they view her. She doesn't do anything great, but she does a lot of things well. The most interesting part, in my opinion, was they were all pretty high on Olivia Nelson Adota. They think she's still got a lot of room to develop. They think at the very least her passing and her defense gives her a chance to at least stick right away. They like her size. They think she can add more strength. That kind of feels like she's going to slip into the first round. And I just didn't think that she would necessarily have those high of, uh, opinions about her. I thought they were going to look, mention the inconsistency and the struggles against bigger opponents, but no, they seem to have pretty high hopes for Olivia Nelson Adota. So that was pretty interesting. I don't know if that's going to actually pan out once the draft comes, but at the very least, all three of these players are going to get drafted. I think there's a good, ch- I think for sure one player is going to be drafted in the first round. And if I had to bet, it would be Kristen. I like the chances of two players getting picked in the first round. I'd be shocked if all three got picked in the first round. Agreed. I'd also be very surprised if all three get picked in the first round, but I would expect by midway two thirds through the the second round, they'll all be off the board. I think either Avina or Olivia could sneak into the first round round alongside Kristen, but there's not a lot of consensus on anything this year. So I think it could really go a lot of ways. Um, but I would expect kind of early second round by the latest for all of them. Yeah. I I can't remember whose mock draft it was off the top of my head, but I did see one where I think Kristen was the last pick of the first round. Avina was the first pick of the second round. And I think Liv was the third pick of the second round. So can you imagine that stretch where three UConn players go off the board in four picks? That would be a lot. I think that feels like a, pretty realistic scenario though i think i have seen Kristen as high as six or something yeah i've seen so. Kristen as high as six i've also seen i think avina as high as like eight or so on different boards so like i said just not a lot of consensus all around i expect that we're in for another draft like last year's where there's a lot of surprises no one really seems to know what's going to happen outside the first couple picks but it should be interesting. I mean, I've also seen them as low as like late third round picks, which doesn't really feel realistic to me, but you never know. Right. I don't think they go in the third round. I think they end up going second round. I could see Avina going in the first round just because it's generally assumed to be a stronger draft class than last year. I think there was a zoom call with some of the general managers and that was their general consensus. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think someone mentioned that, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe that's true. So it's a stronger draft class, but I still don't think it's believed to be a strong draft mm-hmm. class. I really feel like Avina Westbrook is going to be a good pro. And when roster spots are at a premium, 
and you might not even be able to keep all your picks and all those sorts of things. Why not take a player like Avina in the first round, especially if you're like the Connecticut Sun, you have a later pick, the 12th pick. You can pick Avina Westbrook and know you're going to have a player that's going to contribute right away and can be a very solid depth piece for you because that's valuable to have on a team. Whereas, I don't know if the UConn players are the best example to use of this, but instead of picking someone else who's maybe a high upside selection, who has a high bust potential, maybe you don't want to take that risk and you just want the sure thing out of it. That feels like Avina to me. I think she's going to be very similar to Kristen, or not Kristen, Kia Nurse a couple years ago. Yeah, she had a down year, but Kia Nurse is going to be a good pro in the WNBA for a long time. I think we've already kind of seen that. Avina Westbrook, not in the same type of player, but just feels like the same way where she's not going to make any all-star teams. She's not going to be your star player. She's probably not going to start many games, if at all but she's going to contribute and she's going to help you win games. So if I was a GM, I would be looking at Avina in the first round, especially if I had a later pick the other two. I don't know how much I would be. I mean, I think Kristen could be a good pro player, especially with the spotlight off and with live. I think it's just how much you trust your development program and your strength and conditioning because no one has been more on the live train than me. So <laughs> I don't know if I would be the one to take her, but I could definitely see the enticement of taking her. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think she has some skills that not a lot of bigs do in terms of her like passing ability. And then she has a really good rim protector. So there's definitely some pieces there that if you can develop her, she has the potential to be a good pro. But I think more than anything, regardless of where they're picked, it always matters like what team more than Mm -hmm. the, the placement, because depending on the roster situation that they're heading into and everything like that, that's what's really going to impact their ability to actually make a roster and to find minutes this season. And not to drop any hot takes here, but some WNBA teams shockingly are very poorly run. <laughs> and that's the case with every pro league too. I, I don't mean to specifically pick on the WNBA, but if anyone gets picked by the fever, like, sorry, your career's over. That's just what it is. I, I'd hate to see that because the fever sometimes don't seem to know which way is up and which way is down. But if you go somewhere like the storm or the sun, who I both think are pretty good organizations that get a lot out of their players, that's much different. Like Katie Lou Samuelson is a good example. Didn't work out in Chicago. Didn't work out in Dallas goes to Seattle and has been a much different player for them and maybe it isn't all Seattle that gets the credit because she did have a good Euro League season the year before mm-hmm. but at the very least it took her a little bit of time to figure out the right spot and I think we might be seeing it a little bit with Gabby Williams too where started her career with the sky had her moments spent that incredible year that she had with the LA Sparks and now she's with the Storm as well so yeah, like you said, fit matters. The organization matters. I don't know. I don't know the WNBA well enough to say this organization develops their big so well. That's where Liv needs to go. But there's somewhere that's out there that would be a great spot for her. And I think she would learn a lot. Or Minnesota yeah, to go back on great organizations. Like if Crystal lands somewhere else other than Minnesota, is she rookie of the year? I'm saying probably not. Is Nafisa an MVP candidate within the first three years of her career, maybe, but 
maybe not as quickly and maybe she's not as impactful. So yeah, that landing spot matters. And I think is going to be really key for all three players. Yeah, exactly. It's like almost like you wouldn't mind seeing one of them fall a little bit later to the second round because I think Seattle doesn't have a pick till 17th. And if one of them was still on the board, I think that'd be a great fit for any of those players. So yeah, it's always more about landing spot than it is about the pick number. And of course, things will probably change the day of too. There's always trades and I don't know what Indiana's going to do with three picks or whatever that they have. So <laughs> something might move. <laughs> I don't think Indiana knows what it's going to be. They don't. They don't. It's, 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 they're they're going to wave them all to year. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yep. And it it's the Indiana Fever special. <laughs> That's what they do best. I think the uh, perfect scenario, if I had to draw it up, would be one of them gets drafted by the Lynx. Mm-hmm. One of them gets drafted by the Storm because both those teams already have a ton of UConn people. And then one of them gets picked by either like the Mercury or the sun, because obviously the Mercury is Yukon Southwest and the sun is the sun. That's how I would draw it up personally. I think all of those would be pretty solid spots for them. Yeah. The Mercury, unless some trade happens, feels unlikely because they don't have a pick till 26. So pretty. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's not the Mercury. Yeah. So sun, those three, just yeah, go. The sun with the twelfth pick would be a great draw for someone. Even the aces at eleven, like that's a good, pro- a good program to get into. Just yeah, don't send them to Dallas or to Indiana, basically, or LA either. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I, a lot of Max have not going to LA, but hopefully they're wrong. <laughs> I also just don't love this guy. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think this guy have any picks, so I don't think there's much. Risk okay. Yeah, there's no pick. They have no picks. So, Fun fact, on my flight back from Minneapolis, I laid over in O'Hare and James Wade was on my flight. <laughs> so could have, should have asked him who they were picking in the draft. That would have been, I'm sure he would have loved that. No, <laughs> kidding. But yeah, Monday, seven o'clock, New York. Are you going down for the draft or are you just going to watch it on TV? I'm just going to watch on TV. I've had enough yep. travel for a couple weeks. <laughs> yes. The moment that none of the UConn players got invited, which actually we should discuss that for a bit. I was like, yeah, no, there's zero chance that's happening. None. None. Also, I mean, I may or may not be flying out to the Caribbean on Tuesday. So <laughs> it may have worked out well for me, but I don't know how none of the UConn players got drafted or got picked to go to the draft. The only thing I can think is maybe only one of them and Kristen would be my guess got invited and she didn't want to go down to the draft without the other two. So they're just going to have something at, at the arena or on campus, something like that where they can do something as a team or all together instead of one person being in New York and the other two being back in stores. That's the only theory that I have of how none of them got invited because at the very least, Kristen is a pretty solidly consensus first round pick by most of the reputable mock drafts. There will be people that are going to be there in a person that will not be first round picks. Guaranteed you. That yeah. Too. yeah. Like, yeah, I, I hope your explanation is right because otherwise I don't understand how none of them get invited. That seems ridiculous. I personally feel offended by it because I don't get to see what they were all going to wear <laughs> the draft, which is obviously what I care most about. <laughs> Especially there's such a history of UConn players getting picked in the first round. It's not like we're talking about, I don't know, I don't want to randomly insult some <laughs> prospect, but it's not like 
what a mid-major program has a player that's maybe a fringe first round pick that you're like, ah, well, we can't say for certain one of UConn's players is getting picked in the first round. It's probably going to be Kristen. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't extend that invite unless again, she declined it for one reason or another. Yeah, exactly. Which maybe like, she did. Maybe they're going to do something together, which would also make me happy because then I don't be outfits. <laughs> <laughs> or like, maybe it's not even that deep. Maybe it's just Kristen's exhausted from the season and yes. <laughs> doesn't want to have to go down to New York city and deal with all the pomp and circumstance. I don't know. It, I feel like there has to be an explanation, even though we're not going to get one from the WNBA. Exactly. I, I agree. Speaking of players departing on Thursday night, PF Gabriel entered the transfer portal. Third player from UConn to enter the transfer portal over the last nine months. Since the season began, whenever that was joining sailor Poffenbarger and Mir McLean. None of them were really getting a ton of playing time. Obviously, P.F. Gabriel was a developmental project. Great physical tools, still needed to refine a lot in the rest of her game. Showed some flashes this year. I don't really want to speculate on why she transferred or where she might go or anything like that, but it is worth mentioning that she wasn't with the team in the regionals because of what Gino hinted were academic issues. So whether or not that even played a factor, we don't know. She could have just decided that she wants to play somewhere for the last three seasons of her career. So it could be any number of things, but she's departed. It would have been interesting to see what she could have done with another year of development, but UConn still has a very deep front court. And I'm very interested to see what they do in the portal because I think there's a balance that you need to strike between short-term game and someone like Dorka. If you could find another player like Dorka versus long-term benefit where you just throw the kids out there, Ice Brady and Ayanna Patterson, the freshman or Amari DeBerry, you throw the kids out there and tell them, go figure it out as your third, fourth and fifth bigs. No, I kind of agree with that. I think especially it seems like Gino feels pretty positive about Amari being like in the gym this summer and committed to getting better. Like if you can get a really talented big, you should I think they should still take that opportunity. But I think they have enough depth in the front court coming in that they don't necessarily need to hit the transfer portal, especially if you're going to have, you know, Aaliyah and Dorka to start things off. And then you just got to have one of those three players be able to step it up enough to be kind of a rotation player. I think they need to guard more than they need a post. Yeah. I really strongly feel like they need a guard, which not to go off on a tangent, but I was looking back at some past seasons to see exactly what their guard situations were. And the last time they were this thin. So I was like, all right, four guards, that is way too thin. Mm -hmm. You need more. We just saw how badly injuries can wipe everything out, which doesn't change the fact. But looking back at the 2020 season and the backcourt that they had, it was Crystal Dangerfield, Anna Makarat, Kristen Williams, and Molly Bent. That was a rough year. <laughs> they had four guards that year, and Molly Bent really didn't play that much. And Megan Walker could play guard too, even though they played her more in the post. Still, wow. How did that team only lose three games? <laughs> Truly remarkable. <laughs> Seriously. It's 
mind-blowing. So I'm less so feeling like, okay, if you don't get another guard, you're in dire trouble because, you know, fingers crossed, you don't have injuries as bad as you had this year. And I think it also is going to be tough to find a guard that fits what you want in the portal because it has to be someone who's good enough to play at UConn, which we've seen in the past is actually kind of tough to find. I don't think Batuli Kamara really factors into that because she had so many injuries, but Evelyn Adebayo, they tried to get someone from the mid-major ranks that could maybe take the step up and she didn't work out. Avina Westbrook, I think is a good example of someone that fit what they wanted and fit the role that they needed, but you're trying to find someone who's good enough to play at this level. Who's also willingly signing up to be the fifth guard on a team because nobody's going to be better than Paige. Nobody's going to be better that you can get than Caroline and AZ. Nika Mule's spot is pretty well secured based on the season she just had. And if she can stay healthy, then she's going to be ahead of whoever they bring in anyways, I believe. I believe. So finding that right person who's both good, but also willing to be a role player is probably going to be pretty tough. Yeah, there's some really good guards in the portal, but like someone like Ashley Owusu, who obviously would be talented enough to play at UConn, is she going to want to take on a role like that where you're going to be fourth or fifth in the rotation? I, I don't really think so, as much as I think that would be a great get if UConn could get her. Um, Sonia Morris from DePaul just entered the portal. That's a, kind of an interesting name that maybe would fit in that spot well, but yeah, I think it's going to be tough to find someone that's going to be have the talent to play at this level and also um like be comfortable taking on that level of a role you know looking at this 2020 roster you know who would actually be perfect to have on a makarat <laughs> she would she would be <laughs> you've got a veteran player someone who can play a couple different positions someone who can handle the ball if you need her to even though i don't think point guard is all that much of a concern someone who can get inside I understand why she left and she probably wouldn't have played a ton this season. Oh my God. She would have been a senior neck this year. Oh, where did time go? (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) but that would be like the perfect player. I was also, I wrote in the weekly that I wonder if they do go to Europe and get someone like that where we didn't really hear about her until she all of a sudden committed. So maybe. Yeah, that's a possibility as well. And I feel like there's still people coming in the portal too. There's a lot of coaching changes still happening. So there's going to be other people. Oh, Cindy Harvey's in the portal from South Florida. So I'm just like looking at the list of names. That's another player that could be interesting. See, Um, that's with like Sonia Morris and Sydney Harvey. I'm curious if Gino wouldn't want to touch them because they're players from his friends teams or if it might be more of a thing, I think more Sonia Morris than Sydney Harvey, because I don't think Doug Bruno is going to want to have to play Sonia Morris, That's but maybe fair. Sydney Harvey, Jose Fernandez would be open to that idea in that. Yeah. Go play for Gino. If you want to move up and play for a championship contender, maybe Jose Fernandez would actually be not only fine with that, but he might encourage it. Maybe yeah. I don't want to like say, for certain that that's definitely what would happen, but I am curious how that balance would be struck with the players from the teams that Gino has a really good relationship with. Would he not want to poach them or are they going anywhere anyways? So their old coaches want him to end up in a good spot. I don't know. 
Right. And they're both grad transfers too. So I think that changes the situation. A little yeah. Bit. Yeah. Back There's that's definitely a consideration. I'm just looking at list of names and randomly making comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the front court. Another thing to consider is look at the season Dorka just had. I'm not saying that Dorka was bad or wasn't worth picking up, but it wasn't like she was lighting the world on fire or someone that you needed every single night. Uh, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but it's not like she was incredible all season long. She had a very up and down year, and we've kind of seen that with the transfers that UConn's brought in. Look at Azure Stevens, even Avina Westbrook to a certain degree. Just because, and Dorka was a two-time All-Big Ten first-team selection, so it's not like she was a bad player. We know she's not a bad player. Obviously, injuries were a big factor for her throughout the season, but there's no guarantee anyone that you bring in the portal is going to necessarily be better than either a sophomore Amari or one of the freshmen. And if you bring them in and they're not as good as you expect them to be, but you are still giving them minutes... Those are all minutes that could be going to the younger players that are forcing development because Gino said way back during Big East Media Day that he almost sometimes likes the pressure of players having to play and not having the comfort of, oh, there's other guys here that can do it so I can just sit back and develop. Next year, if you don't have a third big, then one of those players, all all three of those players are going to be forced to have to compete for that spot. And... I think that competition is going to be beneficial. I really feel like one of those three is going to end up being as good, if not better than anyone you could realistically get out of the portal. Yes. If Aaliyah Boston became available, you go get Aaliyah Boston. But if you're looking at someone who's maybe more of a marginal player or, I mean, even falls anywhere below the resume of Dorka Juhas, then just roll with your kids and see how it goes because you don't want to stunt their development for the sake of using up the roster spot on some, someone that's also not necessarily a sure thing. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's important to consider as well. And I don't know how many bigs there are in the portal that are going to be better than like the sophomore Martin Berry, for instance. So it's a tough thing to balance. And we've seen, 30 years of evidence that, you know, Gino and his staff might actually have a hint at player development. <laughs> they might actually know what they're doing. And the fact that Gino's so high on Amari, the fact that Amari seems to be committed to getting better. You don't need her to be an all American next year, but if she can be a good defensive player, she can rebound and she can get you some points here and there. That's all you need out of that third big. And she has size. You know how many tweets and emails I've gotten that <laughs> they need someone with size. They need someone who's six, five. Oh, the one piece they were missing was someone who was six, five in the championship game. Yes. First, her name was Dorka Juhas and she shattered her wrist into a million pieces in elite, the elite eight. So you're asking for someone that's already on the roster. And second, Amari DeBerry, six, five. I know it's really easy to look at the transfer portal as some instant fix, but from UConn's experience using it, those players aren't necessarily guaranteed to be studs and playing at UConn is so tough that Gino mentioned all the time that Dorka was always so not nervous, but she just wanted to do so well and prove herself so badly that it almost 
negatively affected her sometimes. So you've got that to deal with too. Playing at UConn is unlike playing anywhere else in the country. It's not easy for players just to step in and immediately become stars, especially when you're asking them realistically to be the third big in the depth chart. Exactly. And then they have to fit with the team too. That's the other piece. I think Jeff Walls talked about this a lot at the, when he was talking about the um, transfer portal at the final four, but like the player has to fit with the team as well. And the culture fit has to work. So there's like a lot of different factors that go into picking someone out of the transfer portal. It's not just like, Oh, Ashley was a great player. She should definitely be on UConn next year. There's a lot of things that have to go into play. Yeah. I think Angel Reese is probably more of a roster fit for UConn than a Wusu, but Again, like, is the culture fit there? Is she willing to sign up for a team where she's probably not probably where she's not going to be the star? And she probably, I don't know, would she start? It's a tough one. I think it would have to depend on what the offseason is like. But would she want to come to a place like UConn for the sake of winning? Or does she want to go somewhere where she could be more of the star and try and lead her own thing, which like either one is fine. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but it's not as easy as, ah, this player's really good. We're going to click X and sign them to the team. And all that matters are their stats on 2k or whatever. So that's why I'm just, the more I think about it, the more I'm not just in favor of rolling with the kids I'm more kind of actively against adding a big out of the portal. And I think I'm in the minority for that, but I really strongly believe that the program will be better off both short-term and long-term if they leave it up to either Amari, Ice, or Ayana. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's three players too, right? Like if you're just rotating and figure out which one you can get the most out of every night, like that's plenty of depth to have. And I have Aubrey Griffin back too. Which yes, is not I was just going to mention that. But a front court player and a player that can go in and get rebounds and is going to make a difference for this team in terms of their front court talent as well. So yeah, I, I strongly believe that if they're going to pick up someone from the transfer portal, it should be a guard. Well, and yeah, Aubrey Griffin isn't the biggest player in the world, but she grabs a ton of rebounds, which is something that you can never have too much of. And by her being on the court, she's naturally taking minutes away from it, someone else. So if she's playing, that means one of the bigs isn't playing. And that means some of the other, some of the other bigs, the rest of the bigs aren't playing and you're just pushing everyone further down the depth chart. So let's say that your starters are Aaliyah and Dorka and Aubrey comes in for Aaliyah. Now Aaliyah's on the bench and the grad transfer that you pick up is second on the bench. And then the other three are fourth, fifth, and sixth. How are you realistically going to find enough minutes for them to make an impact and have enough time to get the necessary development without also impacting the minutes of your starters? Because your starters still need to get starters minutes. So I, I just don't think that's the move personally. And I'm more than willing to die on that hill. Yeah, especially considering, like, unless you're playing South Carolina, like, you're probably not really giving much size up to have Aubrey play the four. Anyway, that's enough on that probably, but... (laughs) Yeah, so... I do think... Well, even with the guard, like I said, yeah, they they could definitely use a guard, but if the right person isn't Mm -hmm. out there, then what can you really do about it? So... Yeah. It'll be 
really interesting to see how it all unfolds. I think we'll find out anytime within the next few days to May, because both Evelyn Adebayo and Avina Westbrook committed in May. Dorka committed 10 days after they lost to Arizona. So there's still players going in the portal. I think it closes May 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Lots of players out there, lots of time, but we'll see how it all unfolds. With the season now over, we don't want to completely recap it right now, but we do want to hand out some grades, but we don't want to dive deep into what these grades are. We're just going to give our instant reactions, our gut reaction grades for the entire roster, for the season as a whole, for the coaching staff, and all those sorts of things. So number one player, I think, to start with is Paige Beckers because she is the star of this team as long as she's here, but she was injured for a bunch of the year. So what would you put a grade on for Paige Beckers? Because you've got so much to try and consider. She was so great early in the year hurt probably as good as you could have expected her to be after coming back. What do you got? Yeah, this is so hard because like, obviously you're not going to, that page is great for being injured for 90% of the season. But I feel like I'd go with like A minus because she wasn't as good as she was last year. But like at the same time, UConn doesn't go to the final four without her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels right. I probably would just go a little lower and say B plus because I, I don't think you can. I just don't think it's not her fault. She got hurt, but at the same time, she still missed 19 games. So yeah, she was spectacular and it wasn't her fault. The team was deferring to her so much at the beginning of the year anyways, but I don't know. I think B plus feels right when she was on the court and healthy, like the beginning part of the year, a plus the elite eight, a plus plus even the, Final four, I think she probably played as well as could be reasonably expected of her. So mm-hmm. that feels like the right range. Yeah. And let's from there, let's go to the seniors. So let's start with Kristen Williams. Very weird year, played great for most of the NCAA tournament, and then had a very rough championship game. What are you giving Kristen in her final season? I feel like a be and that her tournament was fantastic but it was just like she never got to that consistency level during the regular season that we hope to see from her like she never got to the point where you knew exactly what she was going to do night in and night out yeah definitely I'm gonna be more harsh I think I would say c plus because the plus is because of how well she played for most of the tournament but the fact that that's the way you go out in your college career especially in a game where AZ's not 100 percent you need to be the one to step up. You can't essentially get shut out. Her two points came with two minutes left in the game when it was already over. She did have a ton of inconsistency throughout the year. They don't get to the final four without her. Yes, definitely. They don't get to the championship game without her, but those two points are just so glaring. I don't think I can get higher than the C range for her, but the plus is because of the first five games of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I'll give her a little slack for the championship game because she had Bria Beal on her for a lot of the game, and Bria Beal is one of the best defenders in the country. But yeah, you still have to score more than two points. And then Olivia Nelson-Adota. 
honestly pretty consistent all season long not spectacular but you pretty much knew what you were going to get out of her every single game yeah i almost want to give her an a because like you never expect olivia to come out and be like olivia boston and be the dominant force inside like that's not the type of player she is but i think she did the things that she does really well consistently throughout the final four and then like really stepped it up too in the elite eight in the final four in terms of getting key rebounds and kind of helping to carry this team to get to a point where they got to play for a national championship i'm with you in the a range but I'm just going to hit her with a minus just because I still think yeah, she was super consistent and she played well in the moments that she needed to, but foul trouble remained an issue for her in the NCAA tournament. She could have played better without doing a whole lot. That was that different. So yeah, she had a very relatively consistent year, did a lot for the team was really important, but I don't think I would necessarily say that she was like if I gave her an A I would feel like she did exactly what I thought she would do this season and an A plus would be that she exceeded my expectations so she was good not as great as she could have been but still very good so A minus for me Dorky Uhas transfer from Ohio State high expectations for her dealt with nagging injuries all season long then breaks her wrist this is a tough one for me I feel like B is a very solid option because maybe she wasn't the player that we thought she was going to be, but she was really important all season long and she stepped up at different moments and they don't get probably even to the sweet 16 without Dorka Juhas. And we saw how much they missed her in both the semifinals and national championship games. So wasn't a superstar, but was a very important and relatively solid player for this team. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think she wasn't necessarily like this all big 10 player all season long, but she had really key moments for this team and she filled the role that she needed to fill really well. I think that's important to consider with her, right? It's she wasn't supposed to come in and be the started big. She was supposed to come in and kind of be UConn's third option. And she did that really well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you have her for two years. If she can get healthy, not just her wrist, but her whole body and get right. I really like her breakout potential for next season because we saw flashes of how many points she can score and how many rebounds she can get and the impact that she can have on a game. If you get a full off season for her and she can be fully healthy and stay fully healthy, I think she could be the type of big that people are clamoring, clamoring for them to get out of the portal. This is what you want. You just didn't get the full picture, both because of injuries. And I think, I don't mean injuries to sound like a cop-out because she also just didn't perform at different points, but I think she could be a pretty fun player to watch as a graduate. Agreed. Aubrey Griffin, I just want to mention her simply because she didn't play. So I, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes here by just unilaterally giving her an incomplete grade. <laughs> I think that's a pretty safe, safe thing to do. We'll stick with the bigs, though, and go straight to Aaliyah Edwards. Horrible start to the year. Fantastic finish. How do you balance that? Can we just give her two grades? Like, I feel like I yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like if you're just giving her a grade based on, like, the finish of the season and the NCAA tournament, it's probably an A. Like, she was a huge part of why you kind of made it as far as they did. And just like, even looking at like the Big East tournament, the way she like shut down Maggie, Maddie Segrist, 
just a really, really big part of why this team was successful down the stretch. But like you said, the start of the season was was not great, though. I feel like I kind of forget about that now because it feels like it was three years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think if anyone deserves a weighted grade, it should be <laughs> Aaliyah Edwards. Yeah. I Again, I still think I'm going to hit her with the A minus, though, because of the foul trouble and because we had high expectations for her that I don't think were unrealistic. And it felt like it took until the NCAA tournament for her to just get back to the point that she was last year. So I think as good as she was in the tournament, it still felt like a role player instead of someone who could be a legitimately dominant big, which I still think she can do. And I think that could be what we see out of her next year, but I just can't give her the full a grade when the fouls were still an issue and there were still a couple isolated problems here and there. Yeah, that's fair. Nika mule, the last of the soon to be juniors, which is mind blowing. Only three of them left. Six of them came, three of them are left. There was the other, did we do? Well, oh, I Aubrey, we, sorry, we, <laughs> never mind. I don't, I don't think we need to do Mir McLean or P.F. Gabriel. Yeah, or no, I just couldn't here. remember who the third one was. But it was <laughs> Nika. I I have a, a a pretty strong opinion on Nika, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she kind of like met my expectations for what I expected from her this season, right? Like she did the things you expect her to do. She was able to fill that back up point guard role when she was healthy she didn't score a lot that's not part of her game she had totally changed the defense of this team I almost want to give her an A plus because she like was biggest defensive player of the year and I don't think I ever had that on my bingo card okay well I guess my take isn't gonna be that, <laughs> that was exactly what I was gonna give her because <laughs> I throw out the beginning of the season because she was clearly hurt and it's amazing that she missed like two months and only sat out three games. Yeah. <laughs> Remarkable. Comes back. Once she was playing, she was so impactful. And it comes back to what we always talk about with Nika Mule in that I never really have any idea of how she makes such an impact. But when she's out there, the team plays better. And I think we saw that a lot in the Big East or in the NCAA tournament. And the fact that she didn't play much in the NCAA tournament in my opinion, was not her fault. Gino just didn't seem to be playing her for one reason or another. I thought she should have been out there, though. There were times where they weren't scoring and Nika would go in the game and all of a sudden they would start scoring, even though she's not an offensive threat. So I think she played as well as could have been reasonably expected out of her this year. She shot really well from three, especially in the NCAA tournament. I don't think she gets enough credit for what she is as a a three-point shooter. I'm not going to call her a pure shooter like you would AZ or Paige Beckers, but when you give her opportunities to shoot threes, she knocks down a pretty good chunk of them. I mean, she was among the guards. She was third on the team in three-point shooting. I can look up what she was during the NCAA tournament, but I think it was somewhere over 40%. You know that she's not going to be the scorer for you on offense. She's going to be a pass first player, but when you have someone like that who can nail the wide open shots that she get, that's super valuable. So I don't think they could have asked much more out of Nika. And I'm very excited to see what she can do as a junior, if she can get fully healthy and 
if she can maybe just develop her offensive game a little bit, because we've seen here and there that she can get to the rim every now and then. So if that can become more of a part of her game that helps her to drive and dish. And if she drives and dishes, dishes, dishes really well, then she's also going to be able to get to the rim a little easier. So I'm very excited for what Nika can look like as a junior, but yeah, I really feel like an a plus isn't out of, isn't unrealistic. Okay. Her, Three-point shooting was way higher in the NCAA tournament than I thought it was. She was shooting 60% in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it says what the totals were, or if I can find what the totals were. Oh, yeah, three for five. Yep, 60%. She okay. only took five shots. <laughs> but that's all you need out of her. And that shot she hit against UCF was really big. <laughs> she hit that big shot, then came out of the game and never played again. But she came up at big moments and when she was asked to, she knocked them down. So yeah, she only took five shots, but they were all pretty big shots and she hit three of them. So I think she deserves credit for that shot. 34% from three on the season. That's a pretty good number for a player who 25 for 73. I imagine you will take that every single time. So I really, really like what Nika did and I was just, I was just impressed. I think she had a great season and I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah, I agreed. Freshman. This is where it gets really interesting. <laughs> Amari DeBerry. I almost want to just throw an incomplete on because we didn't see a ton out of her. And the times that we did see were actually decently impressive, but she just didn't play a whole lot. So how can you really give her a grade when she didn't play a ton? I mean, is that a grade in of itself? Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Hey, she was plus three in the national championship game. <laughs> look, I don't care that she missed. I love the fact that she came yes. in and immediately launches a three. I, I wanted to run out there and hug her and just be like, hell yes, that was incredible. <laughs> Stop the game. Just do that every single time. Don't actually, but like, I love the confidence from her yes. to not play a lick for most of the season to step into the national championship game and to launch your first touch on the ball that it was incredible. And it makes me so much more confident that she's going to be a great player down the road. Yeah, exactly. I love that too. I thought that was great, but yeah, I think it's safe to say that she also like falls into the incomplete category because she just didn't play much. And I don't know what you give her otherwise, because I think it pretty much meets our expectations. Like I didn't even think she was going to play much. So yeah. Think she did anything wrong. <laughs> right. Caroline Ducharme and AZ Fudd are both difficult because both dealt with injuries, but both were so good at different times. Yeah. I almost want to give AZ an A, but with an asterisk that her season basically started in January. <laughs> so maybe an A minus because she played really well when she was healthy, but the fact that she didn't start playing really until January knocks her to the minus yeah i think that's fair i would agree with that i feel like on caroline though i'd go the other way because i think we like, you know you knew she was going to be kind of deep in that guard rotation i don't think i regret that i would never had all these injuries on my bingo card but i never thought that she was going to be carrying this team at points and she did so i feel like she had even though like the end of the season was not great you still have to give her an a plus because she's exceeded expectations at least in my book for a freshman 
Yeah, I think that's fair, especially because she wasn't playing at all at the beginning of the season and right. she wasn't doing anything that showed that she deserved to be playing in that Seton Hall game down at Seton Hall. She only got credited with like two turnovers when she definitely had at least three more somewhere along the way. <laughs> so the fact that she went from that to her breakout against Notre Dame to all of a sudden the team's leading scorer once Paige goes down and then she gets hurt and never really recovers from it. Gino said that she just was a little skittish about going into the lane and getting hit again, which look concussions, even though technically she didn't have a concussion, according to Gino, he said that they get like, they tested her time and time again, and she wasn't checking off the box for concussions, but she was still having these symptoms, whatever that means. Those are so hard to come back from mentally and to try and figure that out. So I don't really fault her for not wanting to go in the lane, but she had some nice moments when they called upon her in the NCAA tournament, especially later, especially in the championship game where she was one of the few bright spots. So yeah, I don't think I'm going to disagree on the A plus. I think from what we saw during the beginning of the year to what she became, I think her peak was so high and at such an important moment, where is this team without um, or without Caroline Ducharme? they might actually have double digit losses. I don't think that's hyperbolic to say. So yeah, I think that peak was just so high that everything else just kind of gets canceled out. So I'd also give her an A plus. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, like, obviously Gina knows a lot more than I do, but I couldn't understand why she came out of the game in the national championship. She was one of the few people that was finding a way to score. I thought she should have just stayed out there. Granted, she didn't fall out, but... I don't know. I would just left her in there as long as ride, <laughs> ride her as long as you can. Honestly, yeah. Especially, I hate saying this because I like personally really liked Kristen. I think she's a good kid. But UConn's eight zero run in the first half and ten zero run in the second half both came with Kristen on the bench. Yep. And I don't think that's a coincidence. No. So, <laughs> I am just next episode we're gonna dive more into next season but i am already driving i was the first one to be on the caroline ducharme train i was the conductor of it we're we're firing it back up caroline ducharme is going to be an all-american next season i will say that right now i'm willing to drop that take how many all-americans do you think uconn's gonna get (laughs) three three page az and caroline (laughs) and i don't think it's going to be unrealistic I'm not saying she's going to be a first team All-American, but she will make an All-American team. Okay. <laughs> Paige is going to be a consensus and is going to win National Player of the Year. I feel pretty good about that. I think AZ is going to be not quite a consensus, but some are going to have her first team. Some are going to have her second team. I think Caroline's going to be like one of those third teamers, honorable mentions for others. So, yes, w- right. way too early prediction for next season, <laughs> but I just wanted to get it out there because I want – all the smoke when it comes to the Caroline Ducharme train. (laughs) On that note, we are going to be going back to a bit of an off-season cadence. I don't actually know what it's going to be. All I know is that I'm going to be in St. Martin next week, and we're not going to be podcasting. So we will be the week back the week after to look ahead to next season to recap the WNBA draft, all those sorts of things. And then from there on, I think we're just going to, kind of roll with it and depending on the week and depending on how it goes we're gonna either maybe have a few podcasts in a row right after that or we're gonna stay twice a week and if you're a new listener typically in the off season we're every other week not twice a week so i meant every other week 
so just keep an eye out for that next episode. I, I, I am determined to get this podcast on its own feed before I go to the Caribbean. That is my promise to you. I know I have promised a lot of things with that feed. I promise I will get it on its own feed if I can. So <laughs> keep an eye out for that. We will blast it everywhere when it happens. But until then, you can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to read the UConn blog. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Become a premium subscriber. Megan, send us into the offseason. Don't forget the WNBA draft is on Monday. That'll do it.